All right. Hey, everybody. Uh, this is Nick with League Day. Uh, super excited to have Will Hershey here from Roundhill Investments. He is a co-founder and CEO. Uh, Will and I have actually known each other for at least uh, a decade here. I actually was almost the, uh, the third partner in crime with, uh, with Roundhill a couple years ago, <laughs> uh, just before they got a fabulous Bitcraft investment and, and started going to the moon, which is super exciting, really really uh, happy with everything that's that's transpired with Roundhill over the last uh, last couple of years here. But uh, Will, would you like to um, introduce yourself and Roundhill? Sure, uh, Nick, thanks for thanks for having me on. And uh, I can't believe we're getting old, man, if it's already been uh, a decade. That's that's crazy to think about. Um, so really quick on Roundhill, um, we are an SEC registered investment advisor um, here in the US, um, really focused on offering ETFs, which stands for exchange traded funds that target what we believe to be secular growth themes and, and, and sectors uh, within the public equity markets. Um, we launched our first fund um, in June of 2019, so almost two years ago now, um, focused on video games and esports um, under the ticker symbol NERD. Uh, we ha you have to have fun with the tickers if you're launching ETFs. That's like the most fun we get to have is coming <laughs> up with the, the ticker symbols. Um, we've launched several more uh, on different themes, one on sports betting and iGaming, another on streaming, another on pro sports, and, and have plans to launch several more. Um, really with the idea being let's provide for retail investors, institutional investors, ways for um, whomever is looking to, to express a view on one of these sectors are exchange traded funds really offer kind of a, a one-stop shop for them to uh, buy into these themes for the short term or more likely for, for the long term. So that's the, that's the quick and dirty on, on Round Hill and what we're up to. Okay, amazing. And do you want to tell us a little bit more about, about NERD and some of your other, um, some of your other uh, ETFs? Sure. So NERD, as I mentioned, um, is focused on providing exposure to, you know, video games and esports um, in terms of the types of companies that NERD comprises. And for those that maybe aren't as familiar with exchange traded funds, aka ETFs, um, really when you buy into an ETF, um, underlying that ETF is is investments in various different companies. So it, it you know, it's it's called a fund for a reason. When you're buying it, it's not like buying and investing into a single company. Instead, you're diversifying your exposure across um, across various different companies, um, all of which are, are publicly traded. In the case of NERD, this kind of breaks down amongst a, a few main categories. The first are the video game software companies. So the video game publishers, the video game developers, uh, companies like Activision Blizzard, Ubisoft, uh, Take-Two, Electronic Arts. Um, that's kind of the first group. The next is kind of what we would call um, esports media related companies. So these are companies that operate streaming platforms, companies that actually operate uh, live in-person uh, esports tournaments and events. Um, companies in that grouping would be like Huya and Douyu, which are the Twitches respectively of, of China, Africa TV, which is like Twitch for, for South Korea, um, Modern Times Group, which is the parent company of ESL and DreamHack. A lot of people don't realize that company is public, but it's pretty fascinating. Um, the next group uh, uh, of companies kind of in the portfolio, and, and keep in mind, there are about um, 
at most times they're somewhere between 30 and 40 positions within the portfolio. Um, none of the positions are more than roughly 5% weight. So it's kind of spread out through all these different categories and all these different companies. The third group consists of gaming hardware uh, plays. So companies that make mice, that make keyboards, that make headsets, um, many of which are, are sponsors for, for esports uh, orgs. Um, and really are providing gear not only to amateur players, but to you know the highest level um, competitive uh, gamers out there. And then the last group um, is kind of larger companies that are all encompassing, that are touching uh, different parts of the, the gaming and esports ecosystem. Great example there would be a, a company like Tencent. Um, I like to call Tencent you know, a mini gaming ETF in and of itself because of how many um, underlying assets they have that touch the sector. You know, we're on Discord right now. Tencent has a small stake in Discord. They own 40% of Epic Games, which is, you know, Fortnite uh, and Rocket League. They own Supercell. They own Riot Games, you know, which is the, the parent of, of League of Legends. So they're, they're like, if, you know, if you wanted to buy into one company that's touching a lot of, um, a lot of gaming and esports, that would be Tencent. And really what we do is we, um, we select and rebalance these companies on a quarterly basis, um, include n- new IPOs as appropriate. So Unity Software, uh, which is a competitor to kind of Epic Games Unreal Engine, um, is one of the more newer positions that we've added to the portfolio. Um, and really the thought uh, behind our ETF is, look, if you believe in video games and esports as a long-term theme that you want to invest in, um, you can buy our ETF and get exposure to all those different types of companies and subsectors I mentioned, as opposed to picking a single company where, you know, you might get it right, you might get it wrong. Um, with our fund, basically, if you get the, the high-level concept right, um, that's really what we're trying to, to give people um, access to do. And the funds, uh, all of our funds, um, including Nerd, trade on the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, so it's very kind of easy for you to um, trade in and out with whatever you know brokerage you use, whether it's Robinhood or TD Ameritrade or anything like that, um, and you can you, you could buy one share if you wanted to. So really, our thought was, you know, a lot of the excitement, at least over the past maybe two or three years in esports, has been, um, you know, from high net worth to credit investors who are investing into these esports teams um, that you know the average esports fan maybe can't get exposure to. Well, we thought our ETF was kind of the next best thing for those investors to get involved. Um, and while we're on the topic of esports teams, there actually are uh, some teams um, that are either public and not yet in, in the ETF or um, that have parent companies that are in the ETF. So a lot of people don't Is realize Australis that you can get exposure. Is, Austral- Is Australis in, Will? Australis is not there yet. Australis is... Um, Probably the best well-known um, pure play esports team that's gone public. They're trading in Denmark, um, and they're a little bit small for the ETF right now in terms of the size. So if you can believe it or not, uh, last I looked, Astralis Enterprise value was somewhere around 30 or 40 million, um, which is interesting for you know arguably the best or one of the best Counter-Strike teams in the world. Um, so they are not in there, but. Enthusiast Gaming, which is the parent company of Luminosity, is in there. Um, Huya owns uh, RNG uh, and has an Overwatch League team. RNG um, being Royal Never Give Up. Well, RNG being Royal Never Give Up? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, 
Amazing. Well, no, okay, and to take this back up, no, this is, first of all, I mean, congratulations. I think it's amazing what you guys have done and taken this this really kind of niche and, and semi-opaque and, 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 you know, in, in many ways misunderstood kind of um, early budding, you know, uh, uh, industry vertical within gaming, this whole esports um, esports thing, and 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 you know, package it into this amazing esports and video gaming um, uh, ETF. I mean, it's it's really amazing to see. Along with you know, there's not just the um, the nerd ETF. There's as well mentioned. There's uh, a streaming ETF. There's uh, bets, which is uh, which is uh, focused on sports betting. There's others and more to come. But what's really amazing to me is, you know, in the early days, how the the viewpoint was, um, you know, this is this is, or at least from some of the conversation conversations I had, or some of the kind of secondhand um, feedback I was getting, it's like, you know, this can't be pulled off. Esports, um, this nascent industry, it's private. It's too private. And as you mentioned, all the all the exposure was was, you know private investors that had access to invest in this industry. And you, you found a way to, uh, to give access kind of to the masses, which is, which is amazing how you guys have pulled it off and that you have pulled it off. And, and, and speaking of early days, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about, you know, the early days. I think, you know, people would be interested to hear about the early days of Round Hill. You and Tim, Tim, uh, Tim Maloney's, uh, Will's uh, great co-founder. They went to undergrad together and, and were working in finance and founded this together. Um, two, three years ago, but would love to hear about the early days, kind of getting, getting it off the ground, the early grind of a startup, uh, kind of that side of things. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, I think it's important uh, just to come back to the ETF for one second. Yep. Um, you know, what, what I think part of the value is for a lot of our investors is a lot of these um, esports adjacent and esports related assets, which is what most of we're investing in, right? There's there's only a handful of truly pure play esports assets that are that are publicly traded. Really, we're we're talking about the esports ecosystem, right? Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what we're investing in, a lot of them are not um, traded uh, or available to U.S. investors. You know, the esports ecosystem, you know, is very much so driven by Asian markets, particularly Korea and 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 China. Um, as well as European markets. So the, the portfolio is very diverse in terms of some of these companies trade in, you know, the Taiwan stock exchange, the Hong Kong stock exchange. Investors can't necessarily get access to those. And that's part of the value. Um, but coming back to kind of, um, you know, the early days of, of starting the business, you know, just a little bit of background on me. Um, after I had graduated um, from Vanderbilt uh, in 2011, I worked um then at a boutique ETF company, exchange traded fund once again, and kind of really got to um, understand how ETFs are created because not many people do. And more importantly, kind of how scalable um, the business model was. And back then uh, the industry was very, very different, but you know, at, at that boutique firm where there was about eight of us, um, we were able to raise a pretty decent sized fund, actually two funds, uh, that we then sold. And that kind of, um, you know, laid the groundwork for me to uh, fast forward uh, almost 10 years um, and, and start Round Hill. And it's, you know, I think it's it's really interesting uh, to kind of like think about um, our business as a startup versus a, a startup business in, in kind of a more nascent sector because, you know, we, um, you know, the ETF, industry is very much so dominated by large uh, institutional players, whether it's BlackRock or State Street or Vanguard, probably names most people or anyone who's investing that's listening has, has heard of before. 
um, you know, it was a very different proposition uh, in terms of when we were seeking to raise capital uh, to kind of articulate what our different difference would be versus those players, right? It was it was more like we were um, at least initially the way we viewed the business offering a different flavor and strategy of what was already being done as opposed to like creating an entirely new um, a new sector. Uh, um, and in that sense, you know, for anyone that's you know in the process of, of you know, it, it's it's never easy. Uh, and you know, we initially raised a friends and family round. Then we um, were fortunate enough to connect with Jens and the team at at Bitcraft, who are you know experts in, in video game and esports investing. And they uh, really bought into uh, our first fund. Nerd obviously was kind of complementary to what they were doing on the early stage private side. Um, and we got that fund. Uh, into market relatively quickly and you know even you know it's it's kind of this uh, mad rush when you're in the fundraising process and then launching your first product and you hope that it flies off the shelves but that wasn't the case for us and you know it took um, you know about uh, about a year uh, was which was we launched our second ETF focused on sports betting uh, tickers bets BETZ uh, directly a year after we launched nerd um, and it wasn't until we launched that fund that I think um, we truly found, I guess, what you'd call kind of product market fit. Um, and, you know, it's interesting because that second product launch uh, brought more attention and eyeballs to our first product, um, which kind of ended up being this synergistic thing where you know, we got more more attention for, for everything we've done since because of that, that really um, successful second launch. So that was kind of the the process of getting up and running. Um, and now, you know, we're in a position where not only are we able to launch more and more ETFs, but we're also building an app uh, kind of focused on, on investing. Um, so it's been nice to kind of go through this process and see how um, there's definitely a ton of struggle in the beginning, always like it's, and you're always questioning whether uh, you're doing things right or wrong and you do stuff that doesn't work and then you switch and, um, without going through the gory details of all that, I mean, I think that that is uh, probably part of the course for most entrepreneurs and people starting businesses, but it was definitely true for us. No, amazing. And I, um, you know, I see it firsthand too with uh, with League Day here and I, I got a, a, a decently, you know, maybe not maybe not front row seat, but, uh, you know, in the in the lower bowl seat, uh, let's say to uh, to the the struggles and kind of the early days, and it's it's amazing, and it's the the you know I think that it's in a, a really nice attestation to um, you know perseverance and entrepreneurship, and and you know just keeping hacking and hacking until you find that that product market fit. And um, along those lines, um, what do you think it was about? You know, if you want to just hit a little more on the bets launch, what do you think it was about? um that launch that just found such such a home so quickly it was it was one of the most successful etf launches of all time if i'm um if not if i'm not incorrect but what do you think uh what do you think was kind of the 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 the, the mix the the recipe that made it made it so successful then yeah i think it was i think it was a confluence of of factors um i think uh it definitely helped that it wasn't our first launch. And I think that, you know, to that degree, I like, I want to give credit to the fact that we had been out there and grinding and doing a lot of things and building a name for ourselves within, you know, kind of the video game and esports side. I think that helped, but um, you know, if I tried to, I think, you know, a lot of times it's comes down to like um, 
somewhat luck, somewhat timing. Um, and then more than anything product, right? Like, um, you know, in the case of bets, which we launched, uh, in June of 2020, like I said, it was a one year anniversary, June 4th, 2020, one year anniversary, June 4th, 2019, which was our third launch. Um, you know, we launched into a market that was all of a sudden, uh, everyone stuck at home during the pandemic and you had more, um, self-directed investors paying attention to stocks than, than maybe ever, ever before. That was certainly part of it. Second was, um, you know, you had had a lot of excitement um, for uh, some of the individual companies that uh, comprised the BETS ETF, uh, namely Penn National and what they were doing with Barstool and Dave Portnoy and DraftKings. Um, and a lot of them had started to gain traction uh, amongst this kind of self-directed community. Um, and then on top of that, like, you know, I think we launched at a time when there were no sports on, um, uh, but people were looking forward to sports getting back. And I think there was this pretty well accepted idea that, uh, sports betting, which, you know, remains a state by state issue in the U S in terms of legalization, was going to be fast tracked and people were going to remain stuck at home for the next, you know, couple quarters and, um, how would they kind of replace the concept of going to live sporting events? Uh, and I think it was kind of just this perfect confluence of, of timing and, and uh, everything came together in terms of things that were outside of our control and, and inside of our control. And I think from things that we could control was, you know, we uh, started the process to launch that ETF uh, when a time when you know, I think people thought we were crazy, right? Like I think we presented at a board meeting for the trust of the ETF in March, when no one was thinking about sports, they were thinking about, are we ever going to get back to normal? Um, so I think we took a risk there. Uh, and then, um, you know, I think we did a good job uh, and learned from what we did the first time and what worked and what didn't. And we're able to um, really put all of our efforts behind, you know, getting the word out there. I think for a startup company, like so much of it is letting people know that you exist uh, and I think, you know, we had had a year of doing that, but really did a good job of, you know, getting the word spread uh, that we had launched this new fund and it kind of took off like wildfire. And that's the beautiful thing of launching any product in 2020, 2021 is like virality. If people like your product, they'll be your best advocates and, you know, drive it to the next level uh, without you having to do much uh, beyond what you're already doing. So. That's kind of my long-winded uh, way of saying, I think, luck, timing, confluence of uh, different factors, and more than anything, like, learning from what we had done the first time and making it better. No, it's amazing. And I think just in, in this world that you're in, in the CTF world and anything kind of financial products world, I think just also just time in existence. I, I remember some friends uh, coming across Nerd in the earlier days and just, you know, seeing, oh, you know, this uh, Round Hills, it's a new entity. It's, you know, I'm, you know, there is definitely, I think, a factor to, you know, liking seeing you guys having been around for um, a year plus and, and so many other things. So, um, yeah, amazing, amazing how the road has, has come together and um, <laughs> brings me into a uh, uh, next question, uh, which is, uh, you know, just to want to get your being that you're you've been so deep in, in esports and video gaming this whole time. Um, like Willis said, you know, their first fund was uh, an esports and video gaming specific fund called Nerd. Um, they've gone on to other funds, but esports and gaming has been really close to home with Will this whole this whole 
ride and is what him and I really kind of, um, you know, came together on in so many interesting conversations a couple years ago as we were both kind of starting up and getting really interested in the space. Um, what are some of your latest takes on uh, the esports market as a whole? And let's say from a couple of standpoints, one, um, you know, latest kind of happenings on the public side, and then mm -hmm. two, just esports as a whole, just esports as as a as a thing, you know, separate from kind of uh, game streaming and 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 that whole side, but kind of esports as a whole. What are your what are your sentiments on those those two sides? Yeah, I guess I'll start with the first part. Like from a public market perspective, um, I think uh, in the U.S. market, there's a kind of a handful of very small public companies that are focused on esports. Um, that I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of kind of exuberance from investors for expectations in terms of how um, esports is going to grow and produce all of these revenues and viewership and everything else. And I think a lot of it, um, I believe, is somewhat misguided. You know, like I think I've learned a lot about the sector over the past couple of years. And, um, you know, when you look at what you're referring to, which is, you know, true professional esports um i think i'm less excited about that than i am about gaming more broadly and streaming more broadly um maybe versus what i was uh you know a couple of years back i, I think part of that is probably due to the fact that you know all of the events moved online um, you know, during the pandemic, right? So it's it's hard to kind of get as excited about the concept of in-person esports if they're not going on. But I think um, I think what I think investors need to kind of manage expectations in terms of how quickly uh, you know mainstream adoption of high-level competitive video gaming is going to be interesting to particularly a Western audience. You know, I think uh, if you look at China, if you look at Korea, I think they are five, 10 years ahead of where the U.S. is in terms of, you know, the average man or woman on the street wanting to go watch people play, you know, video games at a really, really high level. Um, I think from what I've seen in the Western and U.S. market, it's kind of more of this uh, Ninja and Drake streaming casual watch, you know, and hangout type gaming and, and, and streaming that is more, um, more mainstream. Um, but I, but I think that's simply a matter of time, right? Like I think uh, Korea in particular, there's been this kind of culture around video games that's uh, been in place for a much longer period of time. Um, and in the U.S., I think that's really just a generational thing that needs needs more time to play out than maybe what's baked into, for example, the valuations of private esports organizations. Um, that being said, I mean, there's there's something to be said for wanting to own a team for reasons other than know near-term profitability i mean look at how traditional sports teams are valued i mean they're they're typically valued more uh, like you know luxury veblen goods than they are uh based off of you know how much profit the new york knicks are going to produce uh this year if any um but you know i think i think i am still bullish on the concept of, of professional esports i think it's i think it like in some ways, I think that what happened during the pandemic maybe was helpful. I, I think that it really, to take the next step further, needs to kind of embrace the fact that it's digital uh, and what, what advantages that has versus professional sports. Um, but that being said, like, 
there's only a handful of, of esports that I think kind of have sustainable ecosystems right now. League of Legends has to be mentioned there. Um, but beyond, you know, League and maybe CSGO and Dota, um, beyond those League's looking three, better these days. Sorry? Rocket League is looking pretty good these days. It's kind of a yes, fourth. Rocket League too. Rocket League too. And Valorant um, has potential, but I agree. Outside of those five, it's tricky waters. <laughs> yeah, and like you know, I think uh, a lot of the investors into the Activision uh, leagues were were promised certain things that have not yet come to fruition. So I think, but I think long term, like uh, taking a step back, um, where I'm really really excited, uh, you know, is for uh, growth that's going to come from emerging markets um, and. I know a lot of you know PC gamers like laugh at this, but mobile esports um, is going to be huge. Like if you look at the viewership numbers for Free Fire in Latin America and Southeast Asia, like they're insane. Um, and these are parts of the world where they don't have gaming PCs, they don't have gaming consoles, but now smartphones, everyone you know, smartphones are becoming ubiquitous, and smartphones can run PUBG and Fortnite and uh, Free Fire and some of these other games, like mobile esports from a business perspective in these parts of the world is going to be insanely huge from what I can tell. Totally. I agree. I think that's that's where a lot of the growth is going to come from. It's not as, uh, you know, it's it's not the, the, the kind of um, more hardcore gamer roots of, you know, this entire movement, like you said, on kind of the, on the PC side, but Everyone can everyone can have a phone. Everyone can compete on a phone, or you know, not everyone, but you know, it's it's easier to mm-hmm. own and compete on a phone than on a PC. And and there's it, it is blowing up, like you said, South America um, and Southeast Asia. So uh, will be really interesting to kind of see how that how that evolves and develops and what kind of ecosystem it's it's built into. And so this will will end on a really just kind of uh, a fun question. So. Um, uh, uh, this is, we're, we're a little, you know, we're, this was, this was bigger maybe a month or so ago, but now that we've kind of gone through the, through the whole motions, uh, uh, would love to get some of your quick thoughts on GameStop and some of this kind of, <laughs> <laughs> some of this Reddit, Reddit driven, um, you know, investing and, 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 you know, some of the things that happened with this, what you think, what you think it means for markets. Um, uh, yeah, just kind of your general thoughts on it. Yeah, that is a fun one. Um. I think there's a couple ways of looking at it. I mean, I think the fact that you had, um, you know, the excitement around GameStop and talk about going mainstream. I mean, I think everyone was talking about it for at least a week. Um, you know, the, the benefit of that saga playing out um, is the fact that new investors who had probably never uh, thought about investing before got involved in the market. That's the glass half full way of looking at it. Um, glass half empty way of looking at it is kind of, you know, these investors bought uh, GameStop at $400 a share. They're going to lose. Um, hopefully they learn from it, but they're probably going to lose money. Um, and, you know, I think there's still a ton of education that needs to be done in terms of, you know, wh- wh- like uh, the markets are not intended to be a casino. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of the approach that was taken to a lot of this. Um but I do view it kind of from the positive angle of more and more young people in particular are uh, at least looking and trying to understand um, what's going on in the market. I mean, in GameStop's case in particular, I mean, GameStop is a 
I don't need to probably explain this, but like, it's a very difficult and struggling business, right? Like, uh, I'm sure most people listening to this uh, right now download their games on Steam uh, and haven't been to a GameStop for five years, right? And like, <laughs> just that single fact alone <laughs> says, well, how are they going to, you know, they have all these stores throughout the entire country and what are they going to do with them? Uh, so I think GameStop's in a tough position. I, I guess I'll leave you with my two ideas for what GameStop should do. So they have this really high stock price. The company's not worth wherever it's trading $20 billion, probably worth a couple billion, maybe being generous. Um, they should sell shares. They should sell issue secondary new shares of, of the company into the market. And my idea was they should try and buy an esports team. Um, maybe a you know Days Clan hundred thieves raise like a billion dollars and bid bid all cash for one of those teams, and you can get the streamers from that team to help uh, kind of build awareness for your, your new e-commerce platform. Which I'm still not sold on what needs to be sold uh, outside of Steam, Xbox, and PlayStation. Uh, you can get you can get them to do in-person merch drops in all of your GameStop stores to try and revitalize the in-person. That's my one idea. My second idea is uh, they should try and buy one of these hardware manufacturers, maybe Turtle Beach. They could buy Turtle Beach, which trades at around $400 million. Buy Turtle Beach where you actually have hardware that's exclusive to uh, to GameStop. Those are my two like ideas for how they can like write a ship. Uh, I'm not particularly sold on, um, you know, the need for a new player in e-commerce and like between the Epic Games Store, Steam, uh, you know, Xbox, PlayStation, like what what role do they fit? But maybe that was too much on why I think they're not doing stuff. No, no, no. I, that's that's great. That's fascinating. It's a it's a really good couple of takes, and I I think it's it's a really interesting. It'll be a really interesting case study from here on, and I think a lot of it, no matter what route they take, a lot of um you know whatever strategy they unfold will will rely pretty heavily on, on, on the name brand, you know, guys like us that, that used to go to GameStop, um, you know, when we were younger, I used to go there all the time in my teens and, and, and buy games, trade in games, you know, love going in and doing it. And I love, I, you know, there is that nostalgia with the brand. It's can that translate to online where because of, you know, that GameStop brand, um, you know, people continue to stay loyal to it in this kind of new online, um, you know, online, um, existence, but, uh, um, but you're right. Strategically, they're going to have to do something because, <laughs> you know, there's, <laughs> there's a bunch of other options out there and many others that could, could, could unfold. And, um, yeah, so really interesting. Okay. Well, this is great, great stuff. Will. thank you so much for doing this. This is really exciting. Like I said, I'm so happy for you guys, uh, you know, all the success with, with Roundhill and and hope you guys continue to uh, do great things and come out with new great ETFs and really cool kind of call it as I see it as kind of millennially focused uh, sectors and and interesting really interesting kind of tough to access segments. Um, uh, so um, really excited to see what's what's next and uh, thanks again for for jumping on and doing this. Thanks, man. Everyone, download Lead Day. Yes. <laughs> All right. See you well. See ya. Bye.